Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Father, we want to take a, take a moment here and just acknowledge your presence in this place and acknowledge your love for us, Lord, and acknowledge your design of what we do here, of church service, that we would gather together in the name of Jesus, that we would pray together, that we would uh, study the Apostles' doctrine, the Scriptures, that we would break bread together, and uh, God, that we would hear from You in this way as we do this regularly. And so as we look to Genesis 25 tonight, we know You have things for us to learn and areas in which to grow spiritually. So we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that would happen amongst us in our midst tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The promise continues. Tonight is kind of a bittersweet chapter because we lose the great patriarch, but we also gain a patriarch all in the same chapter. Abraham will finish his race tonight, the beginning of the chapter, and Jacob will begin his race. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're right in the middle of these guys and their lives. Uh, So let's, without wasting any time, jump right into verse 1. It says, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Ledeshim, and Lumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanok, Abida, Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. Now, of all these people, Midian was probably the one that is is most significant in that Midian becomes the father of the Midianites who would later become enemies of Israel, as most of these people do become enemies of Israel. Moses would take a wife from the Midianites as well. Uh, Archaeology has confirmed some of these names from this era, showing that once again, the Bible is not a a bunch of made-up stories, but it is history. These are real people groups who walk the face of the earth. These accounts are true and real. Uh, But we read here that Abraham, he takes another wife. And he has six more kids. And it can feel a little strange, right? A little unfitting to hear about Abraham marrying again. I think for one, because it doesn't fit our romantic view of the Sarah and Abraham story, does it? It just doesn't seem right uh, when you first read it. It's also strange because God was so emphatic about Sarah and Isaac being the true family of Abraham, that the promised, uh, the, the, the matriarch of the, of the promised nation would be Sarah, and that the promised son would be Isaac. But nevertheless, the covenant has been established. Isaac is now the promised son, and Sarah has passed away, and it seems that God has a bit more for Abraham to accomplish before he passes away. Now, something I missed, actually, as I was studying this, I missed the first couple of times through, and it was, it was pointed out to me in a commentary, that Abraham, when they had Isaac, he was sterile, pretty much, right? We learned that Abraham was as good as dead with regards to baby-making when they had Isaac. So when Isaac was born and Abraham and Sarah were very, very old, God had to not only open Sarah's womb, but had to awaken things for Abraham as well. It was a supernatural thing. And what we see here is God allowing Abraham to continue to be able to have more children. And so God 
allows Abraham to see the promise that he would be the father of many come to fruition. You remember the irony of Abraham's name throughout the history of Abraham and how long he had to wait for each promise? His name was Abraham, which it was actually Abram, which meant father. And so people would be like, oh, father, how many kids do you have? And he's like, well, I actually don't have any kids. Oh, okay, that's, that's weird. Until he, until he took matters into his own hands and he had Ishmael. And now he's like, come on, ask me how many kids I have. I'm a, my name's Abraham. My, my name's father, Abram. He's like, I got one kid. I got one son. And God's like, no, no, no. Uh, you're missing the picture here. I have more for you than just a son. I have one promised son that I will bring you, but you will be a father of many. And he calls him, he changes his name to Abraham. So now his name's father of many. And people ask, oh, how many kids do you have? And he's like, well, I just have one. He eventually has Isaac, and he's like two, and they're like, well, that's not really many, but well, that, that's okay, though. Keep believing, buddy. Keep believing in faith, father of many. But it seems here that God allows this promise to come to fruition. We know he's spiritually the father of many, that he is the father of faith, a father of all who put their faith and trust in the living God. We also know that through Ishmael, as we'll see, we'll have uh, many of the Arab nations will come from Ishmael, from whom Abraham is the father. But here also, these six sons multiply, and he becomes the father of many nations. So as I read this section initially, though it felt weird to me, we should understand that this isn't just a hiccup in Abraham's story. This is actually one more example of God's faithfulness to Abraham and keeping his promises to him. Verse 5, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines... Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. So Abraham, he establishes the covenant with Isaac. You are my chosen son. He gives gifts to his other sons. He sends them off, but he's like, Isaac, you are the one God has chosen to carry this lineage. Um, And it it was important because as Isaac being the promised child, he would receive the majority of the family inheritance, the riches that Abraham acquired, that God blessed Abraham with. And more importantly, he would receive ownership of the land, of the promised land, of the country. So the other sons, they didn't even get the option to serve under, under Isaac. They're like, I love you guys, but you got to go. Like, make yourself a life somewhere else. This is something God is doing here with Isaac. This is Isaac's country. Now, some have read this passage and thought, Abraham must have been a polygamist. He had wives and concubines in addition, but that's not really upon further investigation what the scriptures are saying. He was not a polygamist. Um, Hagar was the one mishap, right? And, and we can be confident it was the one mishap because it was such an exception. It was, it was highlighted as this huge mistake. And Sarah was involved. And what happened with Hagar wasn't so much an affair as much as it was a, 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 a surrogate parenting attempt. Right? And, and Sarah brought this handmaid, and it was cultural. It was the custom that if your wife couldn't bear children, a maidservant could be the surrogate mother, and they didn't exactly have the process of artificial insemination or any of that stuff. So you just kind of had to do it the old fashioned way. And that's what happened, and it was clearly a mistake. That's one concubine. Keturah here, he marries Keturah after Sarah's death. But even Keturah is considered a concubine. In fact, in 1 Chronicles, she's called the concubine of Abraham. So as you examine the text, you realize Sarah was the one true legal wife of Abraham. And that's what he believed. 
And that's what he lived out. He was not a polygamist. Sarah was his one true love. Verse 7, it says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah. So Isaac and Ishmael are reunited for this funeral for their dad. Verse 9, In the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field of Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac. And Isaac settled in Beer Laheroi. So Abraham dies. And the focus shifts from Abraham now to Isaac, and so do the blessings, the blessings of God. The covenant continues. The promises continue through Isaac. We really get a short amount of, uh, of history in Isaac's life. It, it kind of jumps to Jacob, as we'll see here. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promise continues through this lineage. But sadly, the, the, the story of Abraham ends here in 25, and it's kind of a bittersweet thing as well because we've gone through 14 chapters have been devoted to the life of Abraham. And it's been just an amazing journey to be able to view a life of faith through Abraham's experiences. As the father of faith, he, through Abraham's life, we were able to learn so much. And it's been a, a real joy studying and teaching the life of Abraham. So it's kind of sad to end it here, but we pick it up with Isaac and Jacob. And we'll, we'll make our way all the way to Joseph which is devoted like almost half the book of Genesis to the life of Joseph. It'll be great. But verse, verse 8, notice it says that Abraham was gathered to his people. Now, this was a commonly, uh, commonly thought to be an expression of being buried with your family members. That someone would be placed in a tomb, their body would decay, and then their bones would be moved into um, a mausoleum with the rest of their family's bones. They would be collected and gathered to their fathers, or gathered to their people. But it cannot mean that in this instance. Why? Because Abraham wasn't buried in a mausoleum full of his family members. He was buried in Machpelah. The only one buried in Machpelah was Sarah at this time. And what this is, is a direct reference to the afterlife. That Abraham was gathered to the, the souls of his ancestors who went before him, who were awaiting in this holding tank of sorts, and it was later to be known as Abraham's bosom or paradise. And what this was, was a place where the saints who've gone before us, who had faith in God, awaited the work of the Messiah to be done. You see, Jesus had yet to atone for the sins of the people who had died prior to the, the crucifixion and resurrection. And so was, there was this place, paradise, Abraham's bosom, where they waited. And it says that as Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth when he died, it says that he led captivity captive, that these people that who were captive in Abraham's bosom, who couldn't enter into the presence of God yet, their sins not being atoned for, they were able to then at that point enter in. So Abraham is gathered to his people in this place. Now there was a chasm in this place. The other side was Hades. Basically, the holding tank for the final judgment for hell. And if you want to learn more about this, Jesus tells a, a very real story about Lazarus and the rich man where, where you can glean a lot of insight about the afterlife and about what it was like prior to the resurrection. But this is a reference toward, to that place. Abraham was gathered to his people. 
And he was, he was united with Seth and Noah and Enoch and all the other godly men and women uh, who went before him. Verse 12. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in order of their birth. And you can read their names there if you'd like to. I'm going to skip down to verse 16. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names, by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. So another translation for verse 18 there is that he lived in hostility toward the other tribes around him. And this would be a fulfillment of the prophecy given about Ishmael in chapter 16. God said that he would be this wild man, that his hand would be against his neighbors, and that his neighbors would be against him as well. And we see that taking place. God's promise is also fulfilled in that he has 12 sons who multiply and become the majority of the Arab nations. But we should remember, guys, as we read all of these names, as we go through, and it feels like it's monotonous just to go through these lists of names of people that you hardly recognize because they don't pop up anywhere else in the Scriptures, really. We should realize that what God is doing here, not only are these significant people because God put them in the Scriptures, but God is showing us He's multiplying. He's still multiplying the population. This, this series through Genesis is called what? It's called Multiplied. And we've come through and passed through the book of Genesis, keeping in mind the fact that God has populated the, the earth, has, has allowed man to, to multiply on the face of the earth, not just for the sake of having life on earth, but because God is moving. His end game is to populate heaven, is to multiply the population of heaven. And so ultimately, God is working towards this direction. And though Israel here is God's chosen nation, through which the Scriptures would come, through which Messiah would be born, we should realize He still loves all the other nations. He intends to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And there are people from these lineages, from these various tribes, who would be saved, who would get saved by Christ. So that their full story isn't included in the Bible, God still had an eternal plan and purpose for these people's lives. Verse 19. It says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So the next couple to bring forth the nation of God, Israel, they're barren. So basic, God's, two, God's 0 for 2 here. The, 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 the first couple, Abraham and Sarah, they were barren. And now the second couple is barren. And it was a reminder to me as I read this that we should realize, guys, God does not always call the equipped, the most likely candidates, the ones that you would see on the outside are ready for the job. God doesn't always put his eggs and invest in that basket. 
In fact, God often calls the ill-equipped so that he may equip them. Just another reminder. Over for 2. Both are barren. Don't you, don't you know God would realize that they were both barren? And he knew he would have to move on their behalf. But it does make you wonder, if these are God's chosen people, why would they go through such difficulties? I mean, the difficulty of infertility, is, it's, it's heartbreaking. I've watched couples go through it. It's, it's a very difficult thing to watch and to go through with people. Why would he cause the people he loved and he chose to go through these difficulties? And why would he wait for them to ask him for help before helping, for, before coming along? Well, back in chapter 12, we looked at a message called uh, um, Characteristics of a Call from God. And we looked at eight characteristics. In fact, it was one of my favorite studies so far as we've gone through Genesis. And in that chapter, one of the characteristics of a call from God is the fact that a call from God in your life will have the need for God. God will be a necessity in His call and in His plans for your life. You will have to depend on God if you are going to walk in His calling for your life. So because the calling of God requires dependency on God, it will also require a need. And that need is supposed to cause you to petition God, to pray to God. Because in that prayer, you're acknowledging your dependency on God. Do you see how the process works? If God is essential, our acknowledgement of His essentialness to that plan is necessary and it comes forth in our prayers. James 4 says, you have not because you ask not. He says, guys, there are things that you do not have that God wants you to have, but you haven't asked him for it yet, and he's waiting. James goes on to say, you ask and have and do not receive because you ask amiss, wanting to spend it on your own pleasures. He says, now there are certain things you keep asking God for, and he says, no, because it's not in his will for you. He doesn't want that for you. But Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, right, according to my will, it would be given to you. So what we realize here through the scriptures is that prayer is a part of God's plan for our life and there are things God desires for us, but he wants us to ask him for it. He wants us to come to him for it. And it makes me wonder, what kind of things am I missing out on in my life? What holes do I have in my calling What needs do I have that God has not yet met simply because I haven't asked Him? Think about it. Pray about it. I hope the Lord gives you the wisdom to identify these things. The, the, The needs of those around you, maybe. This was Isaac praying for his wife. It wasn't the prayer of Rebecca. What needs around you might God meet if you would simply pick up the phone and pray to God? and communicate with God. This is the things God was convicting me with with regards to prayer, and that we would pray consistently. Jesus also said regarding prayer, ask and seek and knock. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And these terms meant ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Isaac might have asked one time, and bam, it was granted, But as we'll see here, they had to wait 20 years before Rebecca could have kids. And he likely prayed for many, many years before God granted this request. So we ought to be diligent and consistent in our prayers and not give up. 
But we also ought to identify what does God want in my life and, and ask Him for these things. But this is yet another example in the Scriptures that prayer is not only a part of God's plan, guys, but prayer changes things. Prayer can really change things. Verse 22. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? That, that translation could also read, why am I alive? If, this is, if it's so crazy, why am I alive? Like, what is going on inside me right now? Rebecca probably didn't know she had twins. It's not like she had a sonogram appointment at her doctor's, right? So she could have been thinking, this baby is huge and this baby is crazy. But really, it was twins fighting within her. And those who are listening who are moms, who've had kids, know that when a baby is like pushing and kicking hard inside, it hurts. Because as it's pushing and kicking, it's kicking your organs. It's pushing your insides, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. And so she's like, how am, I still, how am I still alive with this chaotic pregnancy? It was a difficult pregnancy. It was a struggle for her. But keep in mind, it was also a miraculous pregnancy. God was moving. God had granted this conception to take place, and you would think chosen matriarch of God's chosen nation, supernatural intervening of God, bringing forth this chosen child, surely the, the, the pregnancy should be just easy, right? Should just be flowing and, and just simple and not difficult. But sure enough, it's a difficult pregnancy. It's a trial. And it's one more reminder that adversity is a part of God's call as well. Difficulties, trials are a part of the path. In fact, we know that God does His greatest work in us oftentimes not through our times of ease, our seasons of blessing, but He does His greatest work in us through the adversity that we face, through the seasons of difficulty. Just because things are difficult in your life right now, guys, doesn't mean that you're outside of God's will. And it doesn't mean that God is not going before you and that He's not moving on your behalf. It might be evidence that He is doing things in your life when things are hard. And then it says, so she went to inquire of the Lord. Adversity causes you to pray. Adversity drives us to our knees in prayer. Adversity is a good thing. So she goes to the Lord and seeks the Lord and she receives an answer. Verse 23, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. She's like, what is going on? I, I, I feel like this pregnancy is going to kill me. Why am I still alive? And God's like, there are two nations warring in your womb right now. Now, I just want to camp on that idea for a second and, and, and point out the fact that God didn't say, chill out, it's just two fetuses, two, two lumps of tissue that are kind of moving around in there, doing their thing, but, you know, uh, they may or may not be people if, if you choose to go through with this pregnancy, and, you know, who knows? That God, I might do something with them if you allow them to be... He doesn't say that. He says there are two nations. God not only says that there are two people, human beings in your womb, God looks past the fact that they're people. He looks into the purpose that He is creating them. And He says there are two nations in your womb. There's no way around it, guys. Biblically, a conception is life. Amen. Okay? This is more evidence that says that every conception in a womb, regardless of the nature of that conception, 
That conception is ordained by God. Okay? He says, God says, there are nations at, in your womb. Hang on. I know it's difficult. I know you'd love to quit right now, but I'm in this and I'm moving and I'm doing something amazing with this conception, with this pregnancy. Hey guys, Pastor Sean here with Ignition Tucson. Well, as we wrap this last message up, I realized we talked about some heavy things, conception and life, and of course its implications being that abortion is wrong and conception is life in the womb. And I'd like to just take a moment and talk to you specifically about this. If you're a woman going through a crisis pregnancy situation, or maybe you're a man who's got his girlfriend pregnant or is involved in some unwanted pregnancy, I want to encourage you that God has plans for this child, that regardless of the circumstances, the nature of the conception, regardless of how convenient or not this conception is, that if a, if a child has been conceived in the womb of a woman, it has been ordained by God. And God has tremendous good, tremendous plans for this child and for you as you choose to keep this child. Will it be easy? No, I can't promise it will be easy. In fact, it could be very difficult, even as it was for Rebecca. But I can assure you it will be worth it. And as you stand before your Creator at the end of your life, you will not regret one moment of the difficulties that you went through in order to keep a life that God ordained. If you want to reach out, you need some resources, you need help, you want to talk to somebody, I encourage you to contact Hands of Hope Tucson at their website, givehopetucson.com, or you can call them 520-321-9765. That's 321-9765. And if you've had an abortion and you're dealing with the trauma and the guilt and trying to process all that you went through, they have counselors available to speak with as well. They would love to come and minister to you and help you through this very, very difficult season. There is hope for you as well if you've been through an abortion. God still has uh, forgiveness in store for you and, and plans and healing in store for you in Christ. So please reach out to them. We also want to invite you to come out if you listen to our program on Reach Radio or somewhere else. Uh, to come out every Thursday at Calvary Tucson's East Campus. We meet in the coffee shop area. It's between the ages of 18 to 28. We are the Young Adults Ministry of Calvary Tucson. And so we would love to have you come out 6.30 p.m. every Thursday. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you.